When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, listener. Welcome to the Deep Share Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Rouse, and for the last couple of decades, I've slowly been opening my eyes to a very different world than the one I grew up hearing about. And the more conversations I have with interesting people, the more mystifying this world becomes. So without further ado, let's get deep. We've got science to celebrate. Demons, listen out. Come on! There is rebellion in the wind. It will be crushed. Everything I've said is true, it's real. Dinosaur blossoms? I'll have to put those here to test our faith. A damn lie, I, I saw them with my own eye! Did I accuse just drop sharply while I was away? We did illusions, man. None of it is true. I know insane! This is mass madness, you maniac! In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusion! Welcome back to the Deep Share Podcast. Now, a topic I brush over here and there and I bring up in context with other things, but yet I'm really passionate about is Sasquatch, believe it or not. I know I, you know, I don't necessarily focus on a lot of uh, fringe cryptid stuff or paranormal things, but Sasquatch has always had my heart in some way. And so I decided I'm going to start a series here. So this will be the first of many episodes where I kind of explore and focus on Sasquatch. So I'm really excited that uh, finally I get to do something like this. And for the, for the first episode here, um, I've been following a program on YouTube called Small Town Monsters for years now. And uh, one of the great series on there is Beyond the Trail. And I'm so happy to have you here. Everybody, welcome Alexander Petikov. How's it going, man? Awesome, man. Thank you for having me on. And uh, looking forward to t- talking Squatch with you here. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Uh, I've been following your work for quite a while now. And uh, I thank you very much for all the work you do, because I think you shine a light on a lot of different perspectives. And you're, you know, you, you're getting your hands dirty, you're putting your your boots down on the ground and getting to the field work, which I think is the most important. And uh, yeah, it's been really great looking at all the work you've done over the years man thank you yeah i mean i think a big part of it is just being able to get out there and i think that's actually a big part of why we kind of started this series was i felt like yeah there's a lot of people doing field research that aren't documenting what they're doing there's a lot of people documenting what they're doing it's just them kind of in the woods with a camera we kind of felt like uh well you know we could maybe do that a little better i'm not not saying that to knock at anyone just saying kind of give it a little bit more production values and take some of the stuff that uh, traditionally small town monsters and even some of the stuff I did prior to that series was, you know, more of a look at a a particular case, you know, whether it be the Lake Champlain monster or Sasquatch, where it was just, you're interviewing a witness or a researcher and you're kind of following in their footsteps. Whereas this Mm -hmm. is uh, a really cool opportunity because I get to cover cases that I've always personally been interested in things that I've researched that, you know, I haven't seen the light of day stuff that I just did on the side, even when doing documentaries on these topics, 
So that's, what's been really cool about it. And, uh, I'm glad people enjoy it. And it's, it's awesome to, uh, to know it's pretty well received. Yeah, man. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So for my audience who may not be familiar with you or small town monsters or any of it, um, uh, give us a little bit of background. Uh, my first question question would really be what came first for you, Sasquatch or a love for filmmaking? Uh, you know, that's a good question. Actually. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> that's, uh, that's the chicken and the egg question. Nobody really knows. Right. Uh, mm. Everyone's got theories. No, I mean, when I was younger, I, I grew up, I'm a kid of the 90s, so I grew up watching a lot of the classic documentaries, and obviously there was a lot of stuff going on at the time, Jurassic Park, The Lost World, The X-Files. I mean, there was just a great time for entertainment, you know, media, whatever. But there was also a lot of great documentaries. I grew up watching a lot of documentaries about paleontology and dinosaurs and stuff like that. So uh, it wasn't until um, you know, I was on a family ski trip in the late 90s with my folks and my dad told me the story of the yeti and that kind of is something about being in the mountains and, and looking up and saying well there there could be something up there it just kind of clicked and mm. i think that the two passions just kind of progressed naturally you know my interest in the sasquatch topic cryptozoology in general it would wane over the years i kind of got in and out of it but uh after i got out of school in about 2015 i decided to start just kind of on the side as a passion project doing documentaries about cryptids so i did a documentary about the loch ness monster and um yeah that was kind of my first foray into the topic and then after that sasquatch i originally wanted to make a feature film just about sasquatch a documentary and i realized that i was getting a lot of stories and a lot of people i was being connected to even in my in my local area here in new england uh you're going to northern california places like that that are kind of historically known I realized, oh, this is going to be too much for one film. So I just kind of started putting little documentaries out on YouTube and later down the road started talking to Seth Breedlove of Small Town Monsters. And we started collaborating and I did the On the Trail of Champ series back in 2018, which was about the Lake Champlain monster. Mm -hmm. I see that poster up there. Yes. Um, which is really cool. Done actually, the art, the art on that uh, cool story was done by Steve Bissett, who was one of the original concept designers and kind of drew the original swamp thing from the comics oh, wow. oh, that was a really cool connection he's a vermont guy and um he's actually in the documentary as well but um yeah backtracking bit just like i said the interest kind of went together but it wasn't until after i got to school that i really decided to start looking into this stuff myself um mm -hmm. not being so much of an armchair researcher as i would have been pre previously actually getting out in the field I started hanging out, going out with Bigfoot researchers in my local areas and in other places. And sometimes I'd film it, sometimes I wouldn't. But that's kind of yeah. how it all sort of progressed. And I guess now I am where I am <laughs> a few right. years down the road. And yeah, definitely been interesting. Yeah, that's excellent, man. Uh, yeah, it's you've gone from New England to Alaska to all over the place. And you've recently just got back from Alaska, right? I did. Yeah. And I appreciate you putting on hold the uh, podcast. I know you've no reached problem. out to me. A yeah. while ago, and um, I was like, "Well, I'm going to be in Alaska for about a month, so it's going to be tough for me to schedule a podcast." So I we just it'd be got better back. anyway. If you came back, and you probably have some fun stories to share. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> definitely. It's been it's been a busy past few months because before I was in Alaska uh, in May, so I left in June for Alaska, and in, in May, like two weeks before I left for Alaska, we were actually out in British Columbia filming some Sasquatch stuff too. And it was like back to back madness. It was the busiest time of my life basically. But wow. um, going back to an earlier question of yours about kind of what small town monsters is, it's an independent yeah. 
film company uh, that produces films and other types of content about various cryptids and mytho mythological creatures and those sorts of things. So anything from Sasquatch to stuff about UFOs, other cryptids, like I said, I did On the Trail of Champ. We've also done tons of other topics, the Mothman and Point Pleasant, Flatwoods Monster. Uh, we're doing something on the Chupacabra. There's just pretty much anything you can imagine. There's been stuff, even obscure stories like the Bell Witch. So there's yeah. kind of multiple uh, small town monsters uh, venues, I suppose. There's a lot of stuff is like the films that go to Amazon or video on demand. Then there's the YouTube stuff, which is more of what I do. So my series, as you mentioned, is called uh, Bigfoot Beyond the Trail or Beyond the Trail. We kind of use them interchangeably, I guess. But uh, yeah. that series, we started about two years ago. And the whole point was, as I, as I mentioned, just sort of getting out there and showing some of those cases and actually the whole beyond the trail idea of getting away from you know, just going to a spot and sitting in your car or whatever. And we've done that, of course. I mean, right. but there's a wide variety of stuff that we kind of attempt, but uh, taking also my love of backpacking and being in the wilderness and just kind of applying that as well to the series. Right. So yeah, long story short, small town monsters, it encompasses a lot, but um, you know, you can check us out on the, on YouTube or Amazon you'll find stuff here and there and you'll probably find something you're interested in. If, if not keep scrolling and you'll find <laughs> another film that maybe if you're more into the 40 and stuff, more paranormal versus more Bigfoot, there's, there's kind of something for everybody. And the crossovers, man. I mean, that's, that's what I love about it. That's my most, the most fascinating thing about it to me is all the crossovers between these kind of subcategories that small monsters covers. I think it's great. So shout out to Seth. He's definitely uh, put together a lot of great content over the years and uh yeah your your series got me i think the first one i ever watched was your first granite state bigfoot video oh, wow. and and for everybody listening that isn't familiar these are like episodes per se but they're full-blown documentaries in themselves right. basically you know every one of them is a different expedition you know uh different interview clips here and there because you're still doing interviews too which is great like yeah it's just awesome how how much you're encompassing and yeah it, i felt uh at home watching that because of course I didn't know you were from New Hampshire or lived in New Hampshire in this area for a while. And, and of course we connected over that with the, with the mountaineering because I've been mountaineering as well for about 15 years now. Nice. And uh, oddly enough, that's where I came into the Bigfoot world as well on unsuspectingly because I did have a run in of some kind in New Hampshire and uh, it was right in the uh, Crawford Notch area. And oh, yeah. it's really thick in there when you get down in the valleys. And of course, uh, I'm sure you can be, you're familiar with this, that up in the White Mountains, you know, it can get pretty crowded here and there, but you can find your own campsites away from the crowds. Oh, yeah. If you just go out, if you're willing and not afraid to go off trails, but it is thick friggin' forest up there for sure. So I'd love to talk to you more about like, what your experiences were like in New Hampshire and if, if you plan on doing more there, whatever, you know, just. Yeah, absolutely. Now it's interesting. Crawford Notch definitely. I've actually got, I think one or two reports from Crawford Notch uh, that I've gotten over the years. So I've got, I think it's a, at this point, it's over 50 at least sightings that I can kind of confirm. And when I say confirm, I mean, uh, I've been able to follow up on them or either talk to the person, email with them, message with them, whatever. I think I've got about 70 or 80 that are actually just, 
total. So I've got a bunch that, and I, I've actually had a lot coming in now after my last video too, which was about the Granite State as well, which was kind of a return to it. Yes. Um, but Crawford Notch is an interesting area. Yeah, like you said, the White Mountains. I know it well. I mean, I, I hiked obviously the all the 48, 4,000 footers. So I've yeah, congrats. I've hiked, you know, Wiley and everything in that area, and uh, it's it's beautiful. I mean, and there are a lot of reports from some of those uh, areas. It does get crowded, but man, can't tell you the amount of times I've been on hikes out there and been maybe a handful of people. Mm. I mean, people love those fair weather days, not those days where nobody wants to be out there or. I used to do a lot of sunrise hiking too. We would mm. sleep at the trailhead, well, at least if you're allowed to in certain areas, but you know, whatever we'd right. sleep in a parking sleep lot. In our car. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and so we'd hike up at you know, three, four in the morning, get up there and just eat breakfast as the sun's coming up and there's no one. And then you're leave, you're heading down the mountain. And it's like, that's when everyone's coming up and they're thinking, right. Oh my God, when did you start your hike? But you don't want to know. But, um, yeah, no, New Hampshire is obviously a very interesting place. Uh, I've grown up here, so I'm a little biased, I say, when I when it's one of the best states out there. Uh, well, I would agree, though. <laughs> it's a small state, but there's a lot in it, a lot of history, obviously. And uh, I don't think people, uh, at least, I mean, I've traveled across the U.S. and North America at this point. A lot of people underestimate it. They don't know what New Hampshire is like. They think, especially on the West Coast and out West, they see a lot of this attitude of people thinking, oh, this whole area is all just... New York to Boston suburbs, urban. There's no woods, wilderness. Nothing. Yeah, it's all yuppie. Yeah, or something yeah, like that. I mean, no, they don't. And you know, I live in a place now where I have moose and bear, like literally in my yard. So it's that's uh, incredible. This, this kind of stuff. You know, New Hampshire has is the second most forested state in the U.S. after Maine. So that's it's not a big state, but there's a lot jam packed. And I mean, the the White Mountain area is a quarter of the whole state basically is the white yeah. mountain national forest. So that's a lot. I mean, that's hundreds of thousands of acres combined with all that wilderness just North of there. That's not federally protected, but it's just woods. Right. right. And those uh, millions of acres in Maine and Quebec and then the Adirondacks and Vermont. I mean, you have, you have as much habitat forested here as you do in certain parts of the West coast where they have some of those kind of rainforest green belts, like in Oregon and Washington. And mm. uh, people actually get surprised, but look at, look at it on a map and it's pretty interesting. So yeah, New Hampshire has a long history of weird activity, weird sightings of Sasquatch like creatures. You have stories of the wood devils that go back to the 1800s. Mm-hmm. I've done some research into that. I've been able to confirm that's a pre-internet story. I know people that grew up in, in Coas County in the Northern part of New Hampshire that talk about having, experiences or talked about their their grandparents or parents even warning them oh don't go too far out of camp or the wood devils will get you so it's kind of like a cautionary tale but the description fits a lot of the modern bigfoot sort of stuff the way the wood devil story is described as these tall hairy creatures you could almost walk into one before seeing it they let out these loud screams i mean that sounds pretty (laughs) analogous to a lot of more modern what we'd call Bigfoot or Sasquatch reports now, but you see that all over North America, you have these stories that predate that Bigfoot and Sasquatch name, which is kind of just culturally colloquially what we refer to the topic as you have all these little local stories that, that go back to the 1800s or even prior, you know, wild men, gorilla, uh, just so many different names, the Falk monster, Ohio, well, but yeah, just all this kind of stuff. Uh, the Mogollon monster in Arizona, uh, just so many. I mean, I could I could just start listing a bunch of them off, but New Hampshire definitely has some of those stories. And 
Um, I can share yeah, some... a pretty interesting story with you here if you'd like to hear about. Oh, absolutely, yeah. This story that you know, because you have you're in New Hampshire too. I'm throwing this out there. I hope somebody can can finally put me back in touch with somebody who knows about this story. But uh, about two years ago, or three years ago, at this point in 2020, it was right before COVID started. I was doing a library talk over in Dover, New Hampshire. Uh, sometimes I'll do these library talks every once in a while. I've been doing them for about four years or so now. Um, where I'll get invited to a local library. I've done one, I think, in Portsmouth, Nashua. Um, gosh, was it Guilford? A bunch, a bunch of places. That's not, awesome. not really I'll have to important. Keep track. I'll have to come up. And I, see I, I might have one in the fall. Yeah, I might have Excellent. one coming up in the fall for Halloween. A lot of times they do them in October. You know, they do like Halloween programs and they want big, oh, big yeah. stuff. But <laughs> my Nothing favorite like part about around that time of year. <laughs> oh, exactly. I mean, completely. No, no place better. But. Uh, right. Uh, so, you know, I'll get invited to do these kinds of things. And my favorite part is afterwards hearing the stories that people share to me afterwards, either they've had personal encounters, they know somebody. And this one happened to be early 2020, uh, like January or February. So right before kind of everything went crazy, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, and and it was in Dover, New Hampshire. I did a library talk and this woman came up to me afterwards and told me this story. And I don't remember the exact detail if it was her father or her uncle it was one of the two, I believe. And he was actually in World War II. He was a prison camp guard in a place called Stark Camp, which is up, up in Coaz County, New Hampshire. Uh, it's middle of nowhere. The camp has been demolished, but it was a POW camp where they had German uh, prisoners of war during the wow. Second World War. So this guy was up there. He was one of the guards, you know, as, as would be customary. I mean, you had these prisoner of war camps around the U.S. And one of the interesting stories, actually not related to this story, but there was a famous escape from that Stark camp where one of the German POWs got out. And I think he was, uh, he got apprehended a few months later in New York city. So he managed to make it all the way down there from middle of nowhere, remote right. Colas County. But uh, what was interesting forest. was this woman said that this uh, person who was in a relation to her had described how these German POWs were put on logging duty and they would go and, you know, chop trees and do whatever logging stuff around the camp. Uh, and apparently they were complaining at one point they were kind of frightened to go in the woods because they were seeing gorillas, some kind of ape-like creatures in the woods, which wow. is really strange. Uh, you you try to imagine if you're trying to make up a story to maybe get out of having to do something. I mean, that's an oddly specific one, right? You could say I saw a rhino or something if you're going to make up a crazy story. Right. right. Especially again, pre pre 1958 pre bigfoot yes. term pre yep. patterson snowman yeah yeah before all that came that. that was all post world war ii so this was right in the war i don't know what year obviously but um and it, they thought it was interesting you know these germans were talking about gorillas in the woods and and the local guys i guess were saying well, those are just wood devils mm. so they kind of related it to what they know about local stories and oh man i'll never i'll never I'll let myself go for this one but i didn't take down her her email or her number, I gave her mine. And that's a big mistake is they never contact you. You got to get their info so you can hound them. Right. Um, yeah. So and I've gotten a couple comments on YouTube and other where, uh, you know, YouTube and like social media, people saying they've also heard of similar story up there. Um, and I've been putting it out there a lot. So I don't know if it's, you know, the echo chamber of my, my, my putting it out there and the people are hearing that and then relaying it back. Could be, mm. but I would love to get back in touch with this woman. I mean, I've tried everything to try to find like the signups for the library there uh, to see yeah. if I could maybe narrow it. Down. But I mean, it's such a colossal task. Somebody who, uh, and there's tons of people trying to talk to you after events. So 
It was right. just one of the stories I heard, but mind blowing story to me, at least because it, it's just so interesting and it goes with that whole kind of wood devil um, thing. And that's something I've looked into quite a bit, even before doing Bigfoot Beyond the Trail. I used to go up to uh, that area around Berlin, New Hampshire, quite a bit. Yeah. Was County. And, Berlin. Yep. I did a documentary called Shy Man of the White Mountains about a researcher up there and Michael Eastman, who uh, is of Abenaki origins. And he talks a lot about kind of researching the Sasquatch. And that was more of a film where it was kind of like a profile in of a researcher. So I was following him around and but I got into, I was getting in the woods a lot. And I was really enjoying myself. And, um, you know, it wasn't long after that, that I hiked the, uh, the 48 there in, um, in the whites. It took me about two years, but. That's a challenge, man. I mean, I think I've done probably 28, 30 of them just on accident, never like trying to do <laughs> right, them, right, but right. man, like, yeah, rain or shine up there. The weather changes every two minutes. It's crazy. I it's mean, brutal. Are, yeah. We've, we've had some ones. rough times out there. I mean, I originally only maybe only had a handful I had completed and then mm. my buddy was doing it and he had had a bunch done and I was like, well, let's do it together. And then he, he even redid the mountains he already did with me, which was really cool. Uh, and it was just a cool experience <laughs> because you get to see that terrain year round. I mean, we would do a few winter hikes too, which are completely different uh, story up there. I mean, those are way more life threatening than, than even the summer ones, which can also be in the white mountains. I mean, there's rescues there weekly. Which ones take, did you do in the winter, if you don't mind me asking? We did. We tr well, one time we tried to do Musilak in the winter. We had to. <laughs> we had to turn around uh, because one of the guys with us, his boots, he said he couldn't feel his toes. So we we're yeah, like, all right, bad. time to go. You know, and it's that, there's that saying, <laughs> the mount, the mount. Uh, I don't remember exactly, but the mountains will be there another day or whatever yeah, the saying, absolutely. right? Absolutely. So the idea is, you know, you you won't be there. The mountains will still be there. It's not worth the risk. So right. there's been quite a few times we've turned around. Uh, what else have I done? I've done some of the um, the Carters, I believe, in the winter. So Carter mm. Dome. Oh, okay, uh, yeah, Carter Dome. I don't think that's yeah. one of them that I've done actually. But there was I did three of them in one day, and it was I was technically it wasn't really in winter. It was late November, but there was already enough snow up there that it would constitute as a winter oh, hike. Yeah. I did that as a solo. Uh, luckily, there's a lot of other people going that day. But um, I did, yeah, we did a couple others. We did, we've done Liberty and kind of laugh. That's a great word. Yeah, Lafayette, yeah, this is that man. Franconia Ridge. Franconia Ridge. I got stuck in a blizzard there one time because <laughs> oh, I didn't geez. know what I was doing and bought like yeah. a tent backpack, sleeping backpack on Amazon, rated to zero, oh, and boy. that was a mistake. Yeah, but you learn. You, you learn. Know, <laughs> the hard lessons are. Oh yeah, I mean, you, you learn what <laughs> that that kind of stuff. It tests what gear works and what doesn't. You learn yeah. pretty quick what what works and what doesn't, and that, that's what I love about kind of testing your gear out in the field like that but um yeah. yeah the white mountains what an amazing place i mean seeing it from in all seasons from dealing with bugs to you know, being up there in the fall or other t periods of time i've only done a few of them solo i preferred obviously doing them uh, in a group just because of the kind of safety concerns there but it's it's cool to challenge yourself a little bit and do yeah. a solo that sort of thing but uh, it was an awesome time out there it's yeah i mean i i did garfield alone one year it's not that hard of a mountain. It's I mean, a cool one. Yeah, and it's That's got the that one with little... like the cement box at the top, right? Yeah, the cement box that was from the old fire tower. Right. And I did that. I started later in the day, and I knew I was going to be hiking out in the dark. And and for like the last two hours, I was hiking alone back in the dark. And you're just kind of like your own world. It's it's different than hanging out in the woods at night. Like I've been out, especially the last few years, out in the woods alone at night doing Sasquatch type stuff, where I'm either mm -hmm. I'm just stayed in one place or I'm hiking just. A little bit in this is different because you're just trying to get back 
as quick as you can. So you're, you're not, and you'd have a porcupine coming next to you. You'll have whatever. You're just kind of like, I'm just doing my thing. If something right. happens right now. So be it. But uh, yeah, it's hiking's awesome. I, I really enjoyed uh, getting to do the 48 and I've done a bunch of them since. And uh, there's a, just a bunch of other little hikes too. They're awesome up there. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, those 4,000 footers and, and above, I mean, what Mount Washington, obviously the presidentials uh, are gnarly yeah. Mount Musilock, the, the whole Franconia Ridge is incredible. What a beautiful area. Oh yeah. And you know, the presidential traverse doing all the presidential mountains. It's funny cause you got Washington right in the middle, basically. So you go in there, you warm up and then you get chili dogs and suddenly it's like, oh man, we could pay for a van down to the bottom right now. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, 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 get back out there. You got I know. Four, five more to go, you know? I haven't done a presidential traverse yet. I want to at some point, but yeah, we've done uh it's funny going up to Mount Washington. I think we did it, we did um Mount Monroe in Washington. We stayed in one of the AMC huts. That was like one of the few times I stayed in them, which was cool because you could just hang out all day in that alpine zone. Uh, yeah. but we go up to the um the the Mount Washington Visitor Center, the state park or whatever. And it's just, you see the line of people waiting to take a picture with the sign yeah. with the elevation, 6,288 feet or whatever right. it is. And you're like, none of these people earned it. They all came up the train or they drove up or whatever. So my buddy and I, I have that bumper line. sticker with yeah, the, right, right. Know, this car climb Mount Washington. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's a cool place, but it gets pretty packed. There's definitely other mountains in that area that are much more uh, like Mount Adams, probably one of my personal favorites, just like the views up there. I mean, and we, we hiked down, we did it uh, combined with Madison and it, that was probably one of the longest single hikes. We started that like really early in the morning. It was an all day hike. We came down this crazy trail, which is on the terrifying 52 or whatever, or not the terrifying. Ooh, the ter- there's a list. Oh man. What is it? The there terrifying is that list. I yeah. know what you're talking about. The terrifying trail, trails of New Hampshire. Yes. This, this one, we came down this thing and it takes you into the great Gulf kind of area on near okay, Mount I'm Adams. Familiar. Yeah. And the, the, the trail is called Chemin des Dames, which was named after the bloodiest battle of world war one, which I think should be some sort of indication that it's brutal, but I mean, there's section. You're basically you're rock hopping for so much of it, but there's even a couple sections I remember where uh, you you have to descend through like a little cave, um, mm. just a little kind of rock area. You got to you have to take your backpack off, lower it down through there because you won't fit, and right. kind of wedge your way down through it. I mean, my friend and I, after just doing ten hours of going up to Madison and then Adams and coming down, we were like, Oh my God, this is, oh, we, yeah. we should, we should have just taken the the other trail down the airline <laughs> or whatever it was, the other trail and, and called it a day, but it was, it was worth it to be able to say we did it. But um, I actually know somebody who had a mountain lion sighting there in that great Gulf wilderness area. So um, yeah, it's always not... cool, you know, getting, getting sightings from these areas and kind of knowing being able to put a, um, a place, you know, to that name and somebody tells you a story. Yeah, especially when like, you know, you've traveled all over and you've talked to so many people around and the legends, the names change, but they all sound very familiar depending on, you know, pretty much everywhere in the lower 48. How was Alaska? I mean, I know you've been there before. You've covered it before. How was this last trip? Oh, it was it was pretty amazing. I mean, it was super cool because I actually drove up the whole way to Alaska. That's awesome. (laughs) Which was I got to say, I mean. Now the idea of doing like a four or five hour car ride is, is a joke. I can do that, you know, <laughs> in my sleep basically, because right. we're, we're doing 12 hour days, just, you know, hauling butt to get up there. But yeah, it was an incredible trip. 
So I was in Alaska for about a month total, month and a half, if you include, there was kind of like a week on each side for the drive up. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing about driving through the interior of the U.S. is it's just so flat and boring and there's nothing. So you just you just drive and then you you're get hoping into, for a tornado. <laughs> you're just yeah, you're just hoping to get out of there, honestly. Yeah. And then you get to like Saskatchewan in Canada. And it's the same thing as North Dakota, where it's just cows and fields and nothing. Uh, mm -hmm. So until you get to the mountains, we just kind of kept going. But yeah, it was incredible driving up. We did the whole Alaska Highway, which oh, wow. starts in Dawson Creek, British Columbia and goes to Delta Junction. Um, and then I spent a week up in interior Alaska by Fairbanks and we drove out to the middle of nowhere, literally the geographic center of Alaska, place near a place near Manly Hot Springs, which is about two and a half hours outside of Fairbanks. And you're in the middle, like if you look at it on a map, it's the geographical center of Alaska. And there's actually, we were at a sighting location where a guy had seen something uh, kind of crossing the road. And I mean, it's the middle of nowhere. There's no reason for somebody would be dressed in all black human-like creature in this area. And the amount of, and we got destroyed by the bugs out there. The mosquitoes were crazy in that interior part. And then I went down to Denali National Park and I was in there investigating a, a kind of report from recently that I got. Um, we were up there for a conference called the Boreal Bigfoot Expo, mm -hmm. um, which was pretty fun. I got to speak at that. We got to show some of our other Alaska films from last year. And then I got a lot of these cool stories from people telling me their stories, the locals. Again, it's doing these events, kind of like the library events here in New Hampshire, just you get the stories from the locals and it, and it can shift your plan. Say, all right, well, I'm going to make a detour to Healy, Alaska, because this guy has this weird story of finding these footprints and his dog found a caribou leg and walked out with it. And they thought it was really weird. And it's an area where there's missing people cases and other Sasquatch reports. So that kind of stuff can just change being dependent on um, the stories you get. And then um, after being in interior Alaska, we spent two weeks out at the cabin at Area A, as it's called, which mm -hmm. is featured in the uh, the Alaskan Coastal Sasquatch, part one and two. So we spent two weeks out there, and that's a completely different environment from interior Alaska. That's coastal temperate rainforest down on the Kenai Peninsula. I mean, it rained for like 10, 11 days straight, uh, and it's that you know, foggy, kind of creepy, spooky environment. Even in the film last year, I think it's an inaccurate representation of that area because last year we were there for a week and we had such great weather. It was sunny the entire time. We had one day where there was rain. This time it was mm. sunny for like three or four days and the rest was rain. That's, wow. And that's kind of typically what those rainforest areas are like. Mm -hmm. um, so we spent some time there and then I just kind of spent a little bit of other time in Alaska, did a lot of interviews and kind of went out in the field and got to do That's a lot awesome. of cool stuff. So it was, it was an epic, epic expedition for sure. Just all the, all the stuff combined. So I was doing multiple productions. So I did multi, you know, the entire series basically based on the area, a cabin, which is going to be called dark coast hunt for the Alaskan Sasquatch. That's which, exciting. Yeah. That's and that's basically just like a, continuation of where the Alaskan coastal Sasquatch left off. Mm -hmm. And then there's also going to be a bunch of beyond the trail videos that come out, including one that documents my whole journey on the Alaska highway, which we call the Alaska nice. Big, Bigfoot highway. And that's sort of going to be cool because we drove this whole Alaska highway and along the way, I mean, we saw so many incredible sights and wildlife, more bears than I've ever seen. I mean, you mm -hmm. see like a dozen bears in a day just on the sides of the road, grizzly bears, black bears, cinnamon, black bears, crazy amount of stuff. Bison. You're in their territory. Yeah. It's like you're in the little stretch of humanity that goes through this desolate wilderness that, and it really gets you a sense of how big North America is that 
on that highway, I could just walk off a mile in either direction. I would never be seen again, basically. Um, That's, you know, you could, you could really disappear up there. So that whole, that film will kind of document that whole journey, which would be really cool because there's a lot of Bigfoot stuff along the way, just coincidental stories and nothing crazy, but it was funny the way things transpired in terms of Bigfoot activity or uh, Bigfoot stories and things we heard along the way. Mm-hmm. And our end destination was the Boreal Bigfoot Expo in Fairbanks. And right. a lot of the guys we had been referred to on the trip were going to be speaking at that conference. So I got to interview them and kind of pick their brains. Even one of the guys who uh, researches in the Yukon in Canada, which was really neat. So um, wow. that'll be fun. And just other Bigfoot beyond the trail kind of stuff. There'll be stories from interior Alaska, as well as stories from the Kenai Peninsula. Um, Because the Kenai Peninsula is really unique in the sense that it's not only is it where Area A is, it's also where the infamous Port Chatham or Port Lock is. That's geographically, I mean, where Area A is, it's the same side of the peninsula that that Port Chatham is. Port Chatham is the very tip of the Kenai Peninsula. But the Kenai Peninsula in itself is like a microcosm of Alaska. It's Mm -hmm. They call it Alaska's playground. It's about the size of the state of Maine. Mm-hmm. And it's just south of Anchorage, so it's pretty easily accessible from Anchorage. So a lot of people go down the fit, go down to the fish, hunt, ATV, whatever, fly planes, float planes, all that kind of stuff. A lot of glaciers, and there's a lot of, and that whole coastline is temperate rainforest. In the interior parts of the Kenai Peninsula, there's almost these tundra kind of environments, and there's Bigfoot stuff all throughout it. So um, I was lucky enough to spend time with my buddy Larry Beans Baxter, who has done expeditions to Port Chatham. He wrote kind of the book on it. And he's just taken a lot of reports there from the Kenai Peninsula. So, uh, yeah, it's just you'll see kind of a difference between an area like that and an interior Alaska, seven, 10 hours north, which is completely different. You know, right. there's mountains, but it's much more of that boreal kind of tundra looking environment. And it's really always fascinating to find out different behaviors that people report from their stories, depending on their locations and how universal this possible creature is i mean i say possible just to be safe yet i basically believe it's out there even though i haven't directly seen it with my own eyes and i know you directly have not seen it with your own eyes but you've had a number of very intriguing encounters and mysterious happenings and i was just curious if you could kind of uh shed some light on some of those uh what was the most intense uh experience you've had regarding this topic yeah, it's a good question. I mean, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, I haven't had a direct visual or class A sighting. A right. lot of people have. Um, but I, I, the experiences I've, I've had, I can't say are 100% Sasquatch. I can only say they they fit the bill for purported behavior. So, you know, you have reports of rock throwing or wood knocking, hollering, whooping, kind of these sort of almost very primate-like kind of behaviors, strange smells. So a lot of the stuff I've experienced seems to fit that now can i say it's 100 percent certainty absolutely not i'm not going to pretend that i know without seeing it right but um mm-hmm. the parallels are interesting you, know, you see one or two things reported happening kind of at the same time um mm-hmm. save big on brunch for mom all in the kroger app get half gallons of delicious kroger milk for 129 each then get flavorful tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for 249 a pound all with your card and a digital coupon Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. 
So, oh yeah, there's there's been a bunch, and it's not like every time we go out in the woods something happens. I should preface with that by saying, uh, you most of the time you go out there, nothing happens. I mean, unless you're in an area that really uh, seems to be very you know, hot or just a lot of stuff going on. I, I have not had it be the case, even in places like that where you go and there's there can be nothing going on, but then certain times of years it'll go crazy. You really mm-hmm. don't know. Right. But um, yeah, I mean, just as for example, some of the Alaska stuff that's happened. Um, last year out at Area A, we had quite a few kind of interesting incidents, and one of them included us hanging out at this upper fire pit area, which is further away from the cabin. You got to kind of hike through the woods to get there, and it's on a cliff. And it's got a hill above it. And this whole area is covered in moss. And one night, just four of us were sitting out there at the fire, you know, just hanging out with cameras and thermals and all this kind of stuff. For the most part, we're just goofing off. And then all of a sudden, the silence is broken by this very clear kind of wood knock noise. And we immediately, oh, everyone, And then we proceed to hear what sounds like I can only describe as rocks being thrown into the water, but hitting stuff along the way and smashing up against the rock beach before they hit the water. Um, that's, and that was in the film. Some of the audio may be a little hard to hear unless you have headphones on. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of where part one is sort of the cliffhanger that ends right at that encounter. Uh, and it was just weird. And that kind of happened a few times and we're all kind of like, whoa, what the heck is going on? And then you get another absolutely clear kind of wood knock. So that, I mean, that's interesting that that's going on at the same time. And the wood knocks sound like they're up on the hill above us. You know, mm. we're, we're all kind of caught dumbfounded because, you know, you can only prepare yourself so much. You think, oh, if, if I see this thing, I know I'm going to be ready, right? I'm going to have my right. phone or my camera out. But then <laughs> usually you kind of, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happened here. We're kind of like standing there holding cameras and thermals. And then it kind of like finally snaps in. Somebody roll. Luckily, we had audio going the whole time, but yeah, camera, cameras start rolling. We start scanning with the thermals. We don't see anything, but it was weird because the rock sounds, it sounded like distinctly something was coming through and it wasn't near us. It was kind of, uh, as again, we were on this kind of edge of this cliff, kind of mm-hmm. towards the end, this this uh, little mini peninsula that goes out. And that's where the rock sound or these things sound like something is traveling through the trees and you kind of hit it here hitting soft stuff along the way and then Mm -hmm. smashing rocks on the beach and then a splash it's not like we just heard a splash which could have been uh could have been a salmon or a fish jumping or a seal or an otter slapping because they will do that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. this was very distinct and it was intertwined with the wood knocks which was kind of weird so that was one instance that was just interesting and it was just like a sudden outburst happened a few times and then it was nothing and it died right It's just enough to kind of get you thinking what is going on. Um, so that's some of the Alaska stuff. <sighs> I, I don't want to always tell the same stories, but um, I'm trying to think. Yeah. So another <laughs> time okay. was um, this was a cool one. This was kind of wood knock kind of thing. And, and um, we were backpacking in the high winters in Utah. Ooh. Beautiful. We were going to this Alpine Lake, beautiful place called Amethyst Lake. I mean, you've got the, it's, it's a, uh, really interesting area of the high Uintas, it's kind of this offshoot of the rocky mountains it's still technically part of it but it's if you look at it on google earth it's a very interesting area and and mm-hmm. geologically from what i understand it's very fascinating very remote i mean that you cannot really drive around in there to get to many places mm-hmm. excuse me to get to many places we actually had to drive from colorado going to wyoming and then hook down to get into this area we wanted to get into we parked at the trailhead and we had like a six mile hike up to this lake not that bad right six miles not that bad but you're already starting at like eight thousand feet and this lake is up at 
10 plus thousand feet. So you're getting that elevation starting to kick in. And we're hiking up. It's just myself and Eli who was doing Bigfoot Beyond the Trail pretty heavily with me at the time. Um, This was kind of towards uh, the beginning when we were still trying to figure out what this series was and kind of get out there. But uh, we're hiking up and it's getting dark. We'd already hiked about five miles at that point because we had started later in the day. And, um, you know, it was just getting dark. There was actually uh, what looked like a little hailstorm had just come through. So that was kind of weird. Uh, so we're looking at this, these like pieces of hail just hanging around. And then we just keep going. And all of a sudden, randomly, as we're walking through the trail, we started singing at one point. We're just kind of we're tired and bored. And we want to we were going to try to make it all the way to the lake. Um, and looking back on it, I'm glad we kind of didn't because we're just kind of walking. All of a sudden, the silence gets broken by this loud, just smack on a tree. And we immediately are kind of like, whoa, caught off guard. You know, we're thinking it could be anything, right? right. Sasquatch should not be the first thing you think. Like, absolutely <laughs> not. That is, it could be in any number of things. But we're just kind of like, oh, whoa, that was weird. So immediately we start filming on the camera because we weren't rolling. Uh, and then we're kind of hanging out in the area. And we have our lights off. And then every time we would turn our lights on, we would hear like another knock from another direction. We heard one behind us. Okay, that was weird. So we turn the lights off, start getting the night vision out. We're looking around. We turn the lights on again. And, and in front of us, you hear this like just like two of them, a two big smacks against the tree. And we were just kind of like, okay, this is really weird. It's strange because it's happening when the lights get turned on. I don't know. Interesting. Um, well, you know what that reminds me of just to, sorry to cut it. Uh, no, you're I just, good. um, I thought of this, I've heard a number of times hunters feeling as though they're being escorted out of an area or guided away from certain areas by these wood knocks or presences of multiple Sasquatch sightings that they're, they're kind of being ushered away or a certain direction or something that the Sasquatch kind of want them to go. It's very almost, that's pretty ominous to, to hear from, especially hunters who, you know, I, I take their accounts pretty seriously when I, cause they've seen everything, you know? Yeah, definitely. I've heard stories like that. And what was so weird about this was it clearly didn't work on us because we ended up making camp like almost right where that happened. We were like, all right, let's just go off the trail here. And this where we'll set up our tent because we're thinking, <laughs> oh, if there's something in the area, maybe it'll come back in the night. I mean, whatever mm. it is. Again, I mean, we're thinking could be all sorts of things, but it was just interesting. And this area, it, you know, it is it is decently hiked, this Amethyst Lake, um, but it's the middle of the night. Yeah, I mean, or after dark, it's not exactly like midnight at that point, but it's probably 10, almost 11. I mean, by the time it gets dark, this was in August of 2021. Mm-hmm. So we're just thinking, you know, if this is a person, I mean, why why would there be one over there and one behind us or another animal? I mean, an elk or a moose, they're kind of clumsy. I don't know if they'd be able to do that with the coordination. And then we're thinking, okay, well, what other critter would be up here? Obviously mountain lion, but they're not known to do these kinds of smacking noises or anything like that. So we thought it was strange. We set up camp there and then we hiked to the lake the next day. We hung out in the area. We went back to the same camp that following night. Nothing happened. And we had almost nothing going on. Uh, we had audio out. We left the pheromone chip as well. It was oh, wow. very quiet. And then the final morning, we decided, all right, we're going to go on a bushwhack out of camp and just go up towards the, the canyon wall. And what was so cool about it was this area is it's in the episode Sasquatch Valley. Um, and since you like hiking and backpacking, that's like a very hiking backpacking specific episode but the area is so cool because it's 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 one of these just valleys up 10,000 plus feet and it's got even higher mountains around it so you're essentially right. in a in a bowl and you've got the lake towards the end 
Um, and we decided to just walk up to the canyon walls and we go up there and we're, we're like way off trail. You know, we've, we had left all our stuff in camp. We just took like a basic few things. And I just decided to do some wood knocks for the heck of it. And we hear one response from the tree line and we're like, okay, weird. So I do another one and we get another response and we're like, okay, all right, we're just going to charge in that direction. And we, we went straight towards where the sound was but we didn't see anything. I mean, it took us so long to even get there. Um, you know, clumsy humans, probably <laughs> whatever was there left, if that was anything suspicious, but it was cool because it was kind of a sequence of events in that area. I mean, again, yes, you do get some people coming in. Most people hike in the daytime just to go to the lake, it's, but it is a six mile hike at that elevation. It's not an easy task, um, but yeah. the whole ma- that whole mountain range is just so remote. You can't get in there with vehicles or anything. So, um, and, and there's actually a lot of really interesting reports just from that area alone. That's what originally drew me to that area. There's an interesting story of a guy camping there in the seventies at like a summer camp kind of thing. And they had this really weird incident. So that area was beautiful. That's just to kind of make a long story short, but yeah, there's been other stuff too. That's happened little incidents here and there. And, um, yeah, again, things that I can only say fit in the category of potential behavior without really being able to slap any kind of certainty on it. Well, I think that's smart too. You know, I, I, there's plenty of people out there that kind of jump to as many conclusions as they yeah. can. And that's kind of their method, whether they're aware of it or not. They, you know, and I discernment for me is the number one thing because we don't want to be wrong about it. We also don't want to form wild opinions that may not fit, you know? Um, yeah. But I got a lot of wiggle room because I've had a lot of weird psychedelic experiences in my history and everything. So I'm very open to, to different theories. I'm curious, what is your overall idea about Sasquatch, what it is in terms of, you know, the plethora of ideas that have been brought forward over the decades from physical hominid, you know, a leftover something or other from our past, or these very supernatural elements that people talk about, some of which are pretty convincing. Others, people go off on pretty wild tangents. <laughs> so I'm just curious what your overall thought is from being in this game for so long now. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I don't know if I have exactly a 100%. I don't have my um, eggs all in one basket, right? right? Because it's just so hard to say. Right, as Wes Germer says, he doesn't have one of these studying in his garage, right? Right, right. Otherwise, we wouldn't <laughs> probably wouldn't be having this conversation in this capacity. There'd be a lot more certainty. And I think what you're talking about as well, not jumping to conclusions, is, is is important to me because I think there's so much bad information about this topic out there. The problem is there's no central authority. Not, I'm not saying there needs to be, but anybody can really come on, even if they're a hoaxer or just making a prank and come on and state things as a fact and people will follow them and believe them. There's a lot mm. of cult, like cult followings in this kind of topic. And it's not obviously just strictly Sasquatch. I mean, there's so many other topics that plenty of people just making it up. Right. And that, that kind of goes Bigfoot, especially, uh, which is unfortunate. So my, my criteria for evidence or that sort of thing kind of tends to be pretty high. I think mm. at least compared to a lot of other, uh, researchers that I've spoken with just kind of um, you kind of have to be and you get burnt once or twice with somebody giving you a fake report or some sort of fake video you kind of learn that you have to be overtly skeptical at first that's like the default position until you can get more details and gather more of a picture for yourself and be able to say okay well this person seems very convincing uh, they're giving me a lot of characteristics that I typically see with people that 
don't really seem like they want to gain anything out of this, that they're very hesitant to even share the stories. You know, you kind of, it's like, and this is something I experienced very, very early on here in New England, because uh, you know, places like the West Coast, Oregon, California, Washington, whatever, Bigfoot is all over the place. You've got Bigfoot stores and Bigfoot coffee. I mean, it's culturally there. So at least, you know, most people still laugh at the idea of Bigfoot, but people there are like, yeah, we had a Bigfoot experience. They're not as scared to talk about it. In New England, it's completely still taboo in a lot of ways. So yeah. I've had to learn to deal with New Englanders in general who are kind of cold, you know, not really want to let you in their lives, right? Especially in New Hampshire, we're live for your die. We want to be left alone. <laughs> we don't want too many prying eyes. I want to be seen as crazy. Mm. So I've had to deal with a lot of that. And that's kind of given me some tools to be able to recognize, well, this person seems a little more legit than, than this person or whatever. Uh, so kind of, it's interesting. It's an interesting sort of methodology. But yeah, about my theories about what these things are, I couldn't tell you. Um, I just know based off of what I've what I've observed, I, I try to go off a lot of my experiences and mm-hmm. stuff that I've been told. You know, again, people that I've spoken with that I find pretty credible yeah. that uh, are from extremely professional backgrounds that are trained observers that are uh, just even if they're not from some super academic background, they're they're a hunter. They're someone who who knows the back of the woods you know, better than anybody. And they're telling you, no, this is not anything I've ever seen before. I've seen everything else. And that you, you have to put that in a category of, okay, I mean, either this person is completely hallucinating <laughs> and, and so, and many other like them are, or there's something going on. Right. Uh, so when it comes to possible theories about Sasquatch, I mean, I typically at the moment, I still lean towards some sort of a hominid hominin kind of thing. That's, mm-hmm. that's just extremely elusive. I think, um, having been in the position to really see, I mean, North America far and wide from the wilds of Florida to uh, the Appalachians all up and down the, the mm. Rocky mountains, the West coast, Canada, Alaska. I've, I've really been lucky to be able to see a lot of North America. I think I've got three States in the U S left wow. that I have to visit in Congrats, like two, man. That's awesome. two or three Canadian provinces. So um, it's just, you see the scale of it. It's ridiculous. As I mentioned, just the Alaska highway stuff alone. I mean, yeah, there is so much space up there. Um, anything could be essentially be up there um, and, and with complete impunity, just do whatever it wants. So the thing is with that hominid theory, like what, what kind of intrigues me about it is a lot of the behaviors exhibited or a lot of the behaviors reported the Sasquatch, whether it be the rock throwing or the wood knocking or the whooping or the vocalizations or even the odor that's reported in some of the encounters or stuff like the skunk ape. Those are behaviors that we have now parallels to with other primates, like chimps mm. and gorillas and stuff. And I'm not saying Sasquatch is a chimp or a gorilla. I think it's probably far from it, probably closer to humans than than uh, to gorillas and chimps, even though we are very close to those animals as it is. But right. that it seems to be a precedent, right? I mean, it's like if you talk about a different topic, you know, something like dog man, there's no precedent for bipedal canines right that's right at least biologically and i'm and i'm not to discredit that topic i'm just saying you know a, a primate that walks on two legs is is completely makes sense because we are an example of that we have plenty of other primates that exist whether they be small or large that exhibit some of these behaviors i mean gorillas can control their scent glands when they're angry or agitated right you only you only hear smell in a certain in, in like 40 or less percent of sasquatch encounters report smell so is it maybe, and some people describe it coming and going. Um, some people even describe it. I've heard it multiple times described as the smell of the monkey house at the zoo. 
Right. It's like a very specific kind of smell. So you have that precedent there. Now, when it comes to the weirder stuff, um, generally, I find that those tend to be in the minority of reports that I see. Mm-hmm. At least like 90, 95% tend to be, it was just crossing the road or it was going up the trail. It just mm-hmm. tried to get away from me. Um, you know, it like slapped on the side of my cabin and ran off, that sort of thing. Very kind of mundane. I mean, mundane in the sense that that type of story, that's not extremely extraordinary. I mean, it's it's like if you saw a bear just run off in the woods, you know, you describe, oh, it was just running off in the woods. Right. right. It's just a very run-of-the-mill kind of behavior, which typically seems to fit what the Sasquatches are very elusive and they want to get away from us. Mm-hmm. But that that minority reports I do get of the weirder stuff, I do find that interesting and I'm not one to negate or shut it down. Um, I think maybe some people are scared to talk about those weirder elements, perhaps, even if they've had just a Sasquatch sighting. Um, yeah. There's some people that aren't afraid to talk about it, but I think those types of stories, especially in this kind of internet day and age where the most sensational story often is the one that travels the furthest. I think a lot of those stories tend to be just a little bit more on the interesting side. So that's what people when they hear it on a podcast or on a, on a show or a documentary, that's what kind of sticks out where you can have 30 road crossing sightings in one area. Right. And I mean, individually, one of those sightings is, Oh, I just saw this thing for two seconds as it crossed the road. That's it. Right. That's a lot right. less intricate, I guess, than somebody saying they saw it turn into a ball of light and all this <laughs> other stuff going on. So, and again, I'm not knocking that at all. Um, right. I do think the problem is, I mean, this is just in general with the topic, but when it gets to the weirder stuff, there's a lot more conjecture and kind of just, you know, there's a lot of, it's like if you saw an orb in the woods, which I've seen stuff like that before. I mean, I've had UFO sighting and all, I know there's weird stuff out there for sure that we just mm-hmm. don't understand. I mean, I don't know what's going on, but uh, right. it's an interesting time to be alive, especially with all the UAP stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, um, but, that's an interesting one. <laughs> yeah, let's say, for example, you see an orb in the woods and then you see a deer run out afterwards. Mm-hmm. I mean, would you assume that that deer is paranormal just because of the presence of the orb? Whereas, you know, you hear a lot of stories of people saying, well, I saw a Sasquatch and then an orb and that they are connected immediately because they're both mysterious things. Is it possible there's more than one thing going on? Yeah. Right. Is it possible they're connected? Sure. I, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you one way or another. I'm just, again, I'm trying to run through my kind of thought process, which is typically a little bit, you know, I, I, I take things with a grain of salt. Um, yeah. So yeah, you just kind of have to, because even with some of those typical sort of, it was just crossing the road sightings, you got to run through the scenarios of, well, could have been this or could have been that mm-hmm. because not, not every eyewitness truly saw what they saw. So maybe think they saw that, but, um, you know, especially if it's a fleeting glimpse from, oh, it was a thousand feet away or a thousand yards away. I mean, like, yeah, those are, rough. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how you're gonna be able to tell a lot of detail from that, but then you get those stories where it's, it's extremely close. I mean, yeah. the person is like, you know, one story from Canada of a guy viewing it through binoculars while bird watching. And I mean, there's no mistaking what he saw kind of thing. So mm. there's just stories like that that really stick out in my mind of, uh, oh, those are particularly interesting in terms of what what was being reported. So, yeah, that's kind of a long answer to the question. It was great. Truthfully, truthfully I don't know. Uh, that's just what I'm going to have to stick that's with. That's the best answer. Yeah. <laughs> until until we find out more. Right. I mean, right. unless I have some crazy weird experience, I mean, I'm, I'm open to whatever, but, uh, Typically, most of the sightings tend to be more in line. And I, I go with what the precedent would be. And, and I mean, this, this obviously is a very anomalous topic in general. So absolutely uh, could be connected with other stuff. I don't know. And it probably is some loose ends, you know, of course, right. it's, 
you know? Um, uh, but I, yeah, I tend to agree with you too, that it's like, even if there is some sort of spiritual or paranormal element, it's crossing into the material. So yes. let's just start there. You know, I often say that when, uh, total off topic, but I study a lot of ancient history and symbolism yeah. and the cultures that kind of, yeah, they surround themselves by these ideas of ancient aliens. And I'm right. kind of pro human in that sense. I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with aliens, right? Maybe Probably more of a Graham cool. Hancock kind of guy. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. It's like, hey, let's start from scratch. Let's see. What do humans do? What did the, you yeah. know, let's start there first and then we'll branch off. So I think that's a smart move. And yeah, the, I don't know is the most important part because that's know, where it's... we all are. It's that's often the case is you go into this stuff and you just end up with way more questions than answers. <laughs> that's, of course. that's okay. Right. But yeah, yeah, like you said, I think whatever it is, it's still leaving physical impressions. I mean, foot people have found footprints for years. Rocks are being thrown. Things are being thrown. So there's some kind of physical interaction. I often find this attitude of people that are more on the paranormal side that are very like, uh, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm superior because I, I know these things are supernatural. You know, you, you won't have an experience until you're ready and you're you're there and whatever. And and it, a lot of it comes across as condescending. Not not some not some people, but a few that I've run into. And it's like, well, you're not going to encounter it because of this or that. I'm like, how do you know this? I mean, if you if you can just do this willy nilly, why not you know show me how to do it? But then it becomes, <laughs> oh, you know, there's always some answer or excuse for it. Um, and again, I'm not knocking it, but I think it's just uh, unfortunate because I tend to not really trust people who speak in certainties about this topic because um, unless, you know, it's something they personally had happened to them, like where they saw something or are extremely articulate about the experience, but somebody is telling you for a fact, Oh yeah, they come down here every fall and, you know, we know they're doing this. Well, well how? Right. I mean, right. I'm not asking. I, like, I always like hearing, I know this is going to sound crazy. I like when people <laughs> preface with that because it's like they're at least leveling with you if they're gonna, right, right. You know right. what I mean? Instead of this, well, don't you understand? Yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> it's more of a faith-based uh, research form, yeah, almost. Right, right. Like I know this because I can connect it to things that are written in many, many books, and you know that's that's toilsome for sure. So I yeah. appreciate your discernment, especially from a great channel with so many viewers and you're getting your message out to a lot of people. So I wanted to say earlier, I'll say it now that I think it's really important that you do showcase when nothing turns up, you know, first of all, you get a great video of, of people talking about the topic. There's plenty of information in there. And when, if something doesn't happen, that's, kind of an important part of it too i really i really think that and because you know you've had like the finding bigfoots and things like that where it's just everything has to be dramatic and everything right. has to be upscaled and scripted a little bit here and there you know i just really appreciate the raw approach you do and thank uh, you yeah I, I mean i think that has a lot to do with just the tv industry and kind of big networks being controlled creatively of a lot of these shows and you've yeah. got some shows that just and I think people have been conditioned, unfortunately, to expect every time the camera's on, something is happening, something needs right. to be happening. Um, people have unfortunately been conditioned by these programs to think that, which is, you know, I get it. They just want to be entertained. But a lot of people really believe that. I mean, mm -hmm. we've had so many fake, outwardly fake programs over the few, over the past decade. I mean, you've got the Mermaids documentary, the, the <laughs> Megalodon one, all these ones that were, were literally like Orson Welles type uh, you know, War of the Worlds sort of, but, you know, you got to read the fine print to find out it's fake. 
Right. Or else you're just going to go off. Right. And a lot of these shows, you know, it's the same thing. They are, they're run by people who are not interested in the truth or the, uh, getting to the bottom of the mystery. They just, they, they see this as an ends to a means. And so they're, they're abusing the Bigfoot topic. And uh, a lot of times witnesses are involved in that sort of thing, get abused in the sense that they're, they're used in a way that their story is, is changed around. And, um, and I, I know plenty of people who've had bad experiences with TV. I have myself. And I think there, there's a reason why there's a space for independent creators like small town monsters and even others that we kind of coexist and we're, we're filling that void that people don't get from some of the big network programs and outward kind of fakery that goes on, unfortunately with, with that stuff. And yeah, yeah, again, it's just, people have been, they've gotten so used to that. And it's like, it's kind of sad. People are used to being lied to that, uh, you know, they, they take their anger out on you and they'll be like, well, you guys didn't find anything. You know, how dare you kind of thing. And it's like, I mean, if you I want, showed you the real shit, my friend, you want to be lied to, you know, that there's a different place to go to, but uh, yeah. we try to try to keep it on the level. And um, you know, for me, it's not only just about the Sasquatch topic, but it's being able to, you know, visit some of these places that are like bucket list locations for me and mm. then being able to bring people along on kind of an atmospheric journey is a big part of that for me. Um, and, you know, having them really join us. And I've gotten so many great emails and comments and messages. People are saying, you know, oh, this inspired me to go hike or do this or that. Or, yeah, oh, that you definitely know, I, comes through in your videos, man. Oh, absolutely. So cool. I take note so, of that some of the time. response has been so awesome. And I, I appreciate everybody who's watched them. And Again, there are cases that I care about that I find personally interesting, and uh, it's cool to be able to present them in the way I want to. And there's nobody telling me, "Well, you should add in these fake howls over here." So it <laughs> increases the dramatic tension, right? I don't have to right. do that kind of thing. And um, you know, that's not what we're at, what we're about at Small Time Monsters. I mean, even with some of the more crazier topics, we really try to keep it on the level. I think. Oh yeah, absolutely. For those interested in Dogman who haven't checked out the American Werewolf documentary from Small Town Monsters, that was you guys, right? I'm not. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, okay, you're right. Sure, yeah, you guys cover so much. There's a lot. It's hard to keep up with, even. Incredible. That one sold me on. Okay, this is something I'm gonna have to look into a little bit because the experiences are so vastly different from from Sasquatch many times and yeah. the cases are so compelling either these people are total sociopath liars they're not you know or they're people that really experience these things and it's like man like you said earlier there's no context so it's really difficult to even get yourself serious about a topic like that at first yeah but man there's a lot to it so it sounds so silly and i've thought it was just so silly for so long um, I guess I still do in some ways because I've right. talked to people that are involved in that community and say, mm -hmm. yeah, but like 90% of the stuff that's out there, unfortunately, is garbage. And those are people that are actively into the dogman stuff. Right. So I kind of trust what they have to say, um, yeah. which is, you know, a lot of it is just, I think, the internet culture, like the creepypasta and everything. You know, oh, things yeah. being, uh, myths being drummed up just from online or from like a fake viral video or something like that. But yeah, the dogman stuff. Some of those people that they interviewed in that, I mean, my only real exposure to, I guess, a dogman-like topic was the Rougarou before. Oh, um, yeah. I had done a different program on that in the past, and Small Town Monsters did a Rougarou film, and Beast of Bray Road. And I remember yeah. Seth telling me back in the day, must have been like 2018 or 19, saying, yeah, this Bray Road stuff, he's like, we keep running into stories of occult stuff and weird other like things going on in connection to the Bray Road story. So oh. that always kind of made me think that there's something weirder going on to it than just 
Um, I mean, I, I don't know very many people who think there's a, a flesh and blood bipedal ape man or not ape man, um, dog man that right. just kind of wanders around as undiscovered species. Like with Bigfoot, there's again, going back to those, the, uh, the kind of patterns that actually are, that are seemingly plausible, at right. least the way we understand nature, Sasquatch would fit into that. Whereas Dogman seemingly wouldn't. So I always thought there was something weirder about it, but yeah, there, there's been a bunch of Dogman stuff that STM has been focusing on, and um, and it's interesting because there are some stories, there's some credible stories, and I've gotten a chance recently to speak to some people who've had some encounters that, I mean, I don't know. I, it's like with a lot of these Bigfoot stories, I can't tell them, yeah, you saw Bigfoot. Right, I wasn't yeah. there. I have no idea, but they're either, as you said, a sociopath, really good liar, or <laughs> they truly had something happen to them, whether it was real or not. I don't know, but they they feel like they had something happen. And almost none of the Dogman stuff has ever been like a positive experience. They're always right. very negative. Whereas the Bigfoot ones, I mean, I've gotten everything from people who have legitimate PTSD and are, don't want to go ever hunting in the woods again because of their encounter to it was the most incredible thing they ever saw and it changed their life and it mm -hmm. sent them on the path to be a researcher. So the Sasquatch stuff, it's all over the spectrum. Whereas right. Dogman never seems like it's a good thing, but um, we'll be doing some more deep diving into the Dogman stuff. And I may even... I, I will probably do a foray into the topic from like my Bigfoot Beyond the Trail kind of lens, um, which cool. I'm sure a lot of people will probably be upset by. But I'm <laughs> at the point where I'm like, hey, you know, it's it's I may come out of it completely even more skeptical and I'll, I'll be sure to let you know, you know, I think, well, right, this is total BS or, <laughs> um, you know, th there may be something that happens. I don't know. I can't predict that, obviously. But uh, like with certain Sasquatch cases, sometimes things happen, sometimes they don't. You just kind of let the let the kind of thing happen and see where the, the journey takes you, I suppose. Absolutely, man. Well, it's been really great talking to you and I really appreciate you being here with me. And just before you go, I want to try to ask everybody this question. Uh, why is Sasquatch important to you? That's a good question. Well, I think it's important to me because uh, largely speaking, it's still some kind of a mystery out there. I mean, in the world we live in today, uh, it seems like technocracy. We're we're surrounded by, you know, just technology all the time, and uh, the digital world is becoming, you know, more important than the real world in a lot of mm -hmm. aspects. So I think Sasquatch is still something that ties us to kind of this this uh, wilder this want to explore the wilderness. That knowing there's still something out there that's evaded us this whole time. It's a very romantic idea. A lot of people would yeah. say that's why most people look for Sasquatch. Um, it's kind of an escape or it's an out. Um, so I think it's important to me for multiple reasons, but that's that's definitely a big one. And I think the stories are real. Uh, people have had real experiences. I can't say what they've experienced. I, I know I can really only speak about what I've had happen and stories I've been relayed. And um, there's something going on. And I think when you look at just adding up all the encounters and, and the consistencies and the geographical behavioral consistencies you see with some of these reports from people that are separated by thousands of miles, even hundreds of years in some cases in terms of when things are reported, there's a startling consistency of behavior that speaks to me as some kind of a species that has some sort of a consistent sort of modus operandi of how they live and how they evade us. And I mean, you go anywhere around the world where humans live and you'll we have this similar kind of traits. So it's we may be adapted to different areas, but we're still humans at the end of the day. So that's what's so interesting about these reports, whether it be from the Florida Everglades or the wilderness of Alaska, people are reporting the same kind of thing, which is 
to me, I think a big reason why it's important to me and, and being able to share some of that information and hopefully inspire people to share their own stories and get rid of a little bit of that stigma uh, can't be a bad thing, in my view. I agree. I agree. Well, again, thank you so much. Really appreciate it, Alex. And everybody, please go check out Small Town Monsters on YouTube, Amazon. Check out Beyond the Trail. Alex has done a ton of content on there. It's amazing. And yeah, this is really great, man. Appreciate you being here. Seriously. Yeah, thanks again for having me on, man. Absolutely. Everybody, thanks for hanging out with us and talking about Sasquatch. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Deep Share Podcast. If you want to hear more, then hit that subscribe button. Follow me on all the social places. And remember, think for yourself, but don't always believe what you think. Till next time. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, cactus carrier. Enough, I get the point. <laughs> you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. <laughs> and you what do we know what do we know if i know what we know then i can tell you what we know and if someone else knows okay When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.